Thank you, Greg. What a joy it is to be able to begin each Lord's Day with a study of the Word of God, and especially when that study focuses on the subject with which He is most interested, our worship of Him, the one true triune living God. It is amazing and awesomely profound to know that a holy, majestic, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, wonderful God should actually be searching for those who would worship Him in spirit and in truth. But yet, that's exactly what His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, tells us in the Word of God. Now we have looked at three of the primary words used in Scripture translated worship in our Bibles. Actually, they are three pairs of, of words, one in the Hebrew and one in the Greek, each being the counterpart of the other. They present three core characteristics of genuine worship, worship that is acceptable to God. These are humility, reverence, and service. Now, if you missed the earlier messages dealing with these aspects, we trust that you might try to get them by writing to the station, perhaps. However, as we mentioned last time, the study of any subject, and much more so our study of worship, must consider more than just the words themselves. The context in which these words are found also add much to our understanding of the subject. And so in addition to the ideas of humility, reverence, and service, the Bible includes at least four other essential facets of worship. The first facet is that of response. By this, by this I mean that worship from man's perspective is primarily a matter of response. If we were to look at our subject from any other perspective other than the Bible, man would undoubtedly surmise that worship was something that he himself devised to give expression to his inner desires and needs. However, Scripture shows that we worship God not so much because we feel the need to do so, but rather because God himself has taken initiative to reveal himself to us. He sought us out first. He made the first move, not us. It is not that man is seeking a God to worship, but rather that there is a God who is seeking a man to worship him. This is a mind-boggling concept, my friends, but it is a biblical one nonetheless. The principle is similar to that of love. We are told, quote, we love because he first loved us. That's First John, John 4.19. In other words, love does not find its origin in man, but in God. Our love for God is only response, a reflection of God's love for us. As Paul puts it, the love of God is shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, not by our, the human spirit, but the Holy Spirit. So it is with worship. We worship God because he has made himself known to us and the fact that he is seeking worshipers. He has even instructed us how to worship him. This, conflict, this, rather, this concept is reflected in Paul's letter to the Romans where he says in chapter 11 verse 26, From him and through him and to him are all things. To him and to him alone be the glory forever. Amen. My friends, this is surely the case with worship. Fallen man could never approach a righteous and holy God. So God in the person of Jesus Christ made us just and righteous by his work on the cross for us. The Holy Spirit of God works within us to enable us to worship. And worship is directed to the Father. 
Worship is from God, through God, and unto God. And apart from God's revelation of himself and how man can approach him in worship, man can never worship God in a way pleasing to him. I say again, my friends, God desires our worship. He desires genuine worship. Worship that comes from a heart cleansed by the blood of Christ and energized by the Holy Spirit. Worship that is characterized by humility and reverence and which reflects itself in committed service to the triune God. This is the kind of response God looks for from those whom he who call the Father because of faith in Christ. All of us who call God our Father must come to him in the way he has prescribed. However, there's a second facet or element in genuine worship, the kind of worship God accepts. It is the element of adoration. If worship is truly and fundamentally a response to a God who seeks genuine worship, what is the nature of this response? I believe the Psalms gives us the answer. No book in all the Bible gives us a better pattern for praise and adoration in worship than the book of the Psalms. Again and again we find the words, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. To the psalmist, that is the spirit of worship, praise. We are told in, the, in Psalms 22 verse 3 that God who is a holy God is enthroned upon the praises of his people, meaning that he is exalted and lifted up through praise, the praise of his people. Listen also to Psalm 100 beginning at verse 1. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. End of quote. My friends, praise is the outpouring of adoration toward God by a thankful, redeemed child of God. We have much more to say about this and we'll do so in a later message. But in addition to worship being a response to God's initiative and an outpouring of praise, a third element included in genuine worship is that it is of sacrifice. Of course now, this aspect of sacrifice was central in the worship of Israel in the tabernacle and in the temple. In fact, in the very first instance where the word worship is used in the Bible, Genesis 22.5, it is in the context of worship. It is in the context, of course, of Abraham preparing to sacrifice his son Isaac at God's command. Listen to his words to his servants. Quote, Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey. And I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. The offering was termed worship. When David sinned by numbering the people of Israel, and God stretched forth his hand with the plague, judgment was prevented when David built an altar on the threshing floor of Onan. Onan offered to give the, the land to David, but David responded with these words, quote, No, but I will surely buy it for the full price. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord or offer a burnt offering which costs me nothing. End of quote. That's First Chronicles 21-24. Now in the New Testament, the idea of sacrifice continues to be prominent in worship. 
But rather than the sacrifice of animals or things, it is the sacrifice of self which is demanded. Listen to the words of Paul in Romans 12 verse 1. Quote, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. End of quote. The book of Hebrews adds to this the sacrifice of praise of our lips, doing good and sharing. In chapter 13, verses 15 and 16, he says, quote, Through him, then, that's through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips, that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. All of these, my friends, are a part of genuine worship and goes beyond the idea of something we do only on Sunday mornings. However, there is one other aspect of worship that does in fact relate specifically to corporate worship. It is that of proclamation and has to do specifically with the corporate worship of believers and the observance of the Lord's Supper. Paul says very specifically that whenever Christians partake of the Lord's table, they proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's 1 Corinthians 11.26. Now listen carefully. The word proclaim may also be translated declare or to portray. In other words, in genuine worship around the Lord's Supper, around the Lord's table, we actually preach the gospel through our worship. But to whom and for whose sake do we make the proclamation? There are four primary subjects. First, not necessarily in order of priority now, mind you, but simply for enumeration purposes, there are the believers themselves. We proclaim the Lord's death so that we might truly remember or bring to our minds in an immediate and spiritual sense the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. This promotes and enhances genuine corporate worship on our part as believers. The, se the second subject of the proclamation of our worship is the unbeliever who may have come in to observe the worship of God's people in the orderly, dignified, and spirit-led manner he outlines in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. The apostle says in chapter 14, verse 24, that if the proper order and decorum is observed in the public worship of the church, this would happen if an unbeliever comes. And he says, if an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he will be convicted by all. He will be a call to come by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. End of quote. My friends, there certainly can be no higher, greater, or more effective tool or means for evangelism than the genuine, orderly, and spirit-led worship of God by his people, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But a third subject to whom genuine worship is proclaimed is implied by the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, where Paul teaches that the church has been created by God, quote, in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. End of quote. Also in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 10, Paul says that a woman should be dressed properly while participating in public worship because of the angels. But the fourth and most important spectator to our worship is God himself. 
He is not only the object of our worship, he is also the spectator and the final judge of our worship. We sometimes approach worship as though it is God who gives or blesses us with something. In other words, worship is what God gives to us and that we are merely spectators of his action within our midst. But my friends, the word of God gives us a different picture altogether. God is a spectator. We are the participants or doers of worship. It is what we offer to him, not what he offers or gives to us. The effectiveness of our worship then is not answered by the question, what did we get out of worship, but rather, what did God get out of our worship? It is, rather, it is now, did our worship make me feel good? No, my friends, the question should be, did our worship make God feel good? Not, were we pleased with what we did, but rather, was God pleased with what we did? To be genuine worshipers, as one has said, we must view ourselves as actors upon the stage who are being observed by both those in heaven as well as those on the earth. End of quote. But most importantly of all, I must add, we are being observed by God himself. Lord, help us then, we pray in Jesus' name, to worship you in spirit and in truth. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Selah, think and act on these things.